G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you on a Friday afternoon, hopefully you are geared up for a fantastic weekend full of footy. We've got six footy games in five days, one of which is already in the books. We have a very, very important game four of the NBA Finals getting underway tomorrow morning. So I'm going to dive into a little bit of the AFL fantasy stuff, a little bit of NBA final stuff, recapping game three and looking ahead to game four and talking about the Tigers versus Port Adelaide last night. So I don't want to waste any time. Let's do it. First item on the agenda of the top five is Thursday night footy. Personally, we're going to get into the actual game and the result of the game and what it means for the top eight. But I love Thursday night footy and the concept of it. The more footy on in more days, the better, I say. Originally, I wasn't a huge enthusiast, but I did miss it when it went uh, away for those middle, I don't know, four to six weeks that we've had uh, just the traditional Friday night game. Don't get me wrong. I am excited to watch the Bombers and Carlton go to battle in a couple of hours' time. But Thursday night footy, I think, is good for the AFL and good for footy fans in general. So hopefully it's here to stay. And we got a pretty interesting game last night, I will say. I don't want to say it was a great game because anyone who sat down like myself and watched the actual match probably uh, didn't walk away too chuffed. It wasn't a great uh, spectacle uh, promote uh, to promote AFL footy. But I tell you what, it was a close one. And uh, that did make it somewhat Interesting. Tigers managed to pinch four very valuable points. They move back into eighth spot on the ladder. Collingwood is behind them, but obviously they've got a game in hand and things are starting to get pretty murky at the bottom of the eight. And that race for the seventh and eighth spot is only going to heat up as the AFL season continues to progress. So like I said, the Pies are sitting right behind Richmond also on 28 points. Then we got the Bulldogs, Gold Coast Suns and Port Adelaide all in the mix. Carlton is slightly ahead of the Tigers, meshed in there with the Sydney Swans and St Kilda. It's a little bit all over the shop because there's some teams that have played 11 games and had their bye and some like the Tigers who've played 12 now and had their bye and some like Collingwood who've had 12 games and haven't had their bye yet. So it's going to be very intriguing and interesting to see over the next month out of those somewhat contenders. The Suns, who I've talked about quite a bit, on this podcast, the Bulldogs, same deal. And even Port Adelaide, who started the season 0-5 and, and I was still quite high on, they're not completely out of the race as well. The loss last night obviously doesn't help them, but their next game against the Swans is going to be very, very important for both teams, really, but also for the power to make a push towards the top eight. So interesting times uh, in the AFL, and I'll be very intrigued to see who does push their claim to stake uh, to steal one of those top eight spots and push themselves up maybe to the six or seven range and remove themselves from the carnage that could unfold in the last month to six weeks of the season. Second item on the agenda, let's talk fantasy because last night was a very intriguing roller coaster for fantasy coaches. A lot of people, in fact, over 14,000 coaches decided to bring in Tigers debutant Judson Clark. Personally, I don't know if you can trust someone with the name Judson, but Fuck me, he started like a house on fire. He had 34 fantasy points in the first quarter alone, kicked two snags, joined the very uh, illustrious club of kicking a goal with his first kick in the big time. And he pretty much didn't stat for half the quarter as well. So 
he was pushing around getting handballs, marks, tackles, and the works in that first quarter. Then started to teeter off a little bit. He was still okay in the middle periods, but did not stat in the final frame. And I expect a couple more 50s from the bloke. He looked lively as a small forward, and he did kind of remind me a bit of Kane Lambert. But I think the aforementioned Kane Lambert will probably steal his spot in the next couple of weeks. They got Jason Castagna to come back into that side as well. So his job security isn't fantastic. Zach Butters is the other one that I want to talk about. A lot of coaches would have held Zach Butters being on the Thursday night. I personally didn't want to pull the trigger on trading him to Josh Kelly. Like I talked about earlier in the week, mainly because uh, there are a couple of other issues that I'll talk about soon that I had with my fantasy side, but it wasn't great to see him run out there and only score 55 points. He did get banged up quite a bit in the last quarter, smashed his head with Tom Jonas, as I'm sure most people have seen. And then he copped another blow when he got tackled about five minutes after he came back onto the ground and burst his cheek again. So all reports indicate that he's going to be fine for round 13. I don't know if he's going to be sitting uh, around 14, rather 13 is the one he just played in for I, but I don't think Zach Butters is going to survive the ax at the trade table this week. He has been up and down the entire season. He's had some moments where he looked like he was going to set the world on fire, but Cotter Rose is definitely chewing up more midfield minutes as the season has progressed. He's averaging well, nearly better than Butters now after the last game, but I wouldn't be surprised if that pattern continued, but has spent a lot of time on a half forward flank and we really need him to be playing a heavy midfield rotation. If we want Butters to be scoring well, heavy midfield minutes did go to Ollie Wines, who was another popular trade target, but he only dished up a 70 last night. It was pretty putrid from a fantasy perspective. In fact, there was only two players who managed to score over a hundred for the entire game. One of them was Ryan Burton with one Oh three. And the other one, Carl Amon, he had a pretty good game at 122. But I can almost guarantee that no one listening to this is rocking with Carl Amon in their classic side. Maybe if you've got a draft league, he's still floating around. But oh, frustrating Thursday night of footy. Now that the teams are kind of finalised for round 13, like I said, Judson Clark was a popular trade target. I think Mitch Owens is going to be another popular trade-in if people didn't already pounce on him. Of the defender rookies, just uh, quickly touching on them, I think I ranked Jacob Ware over Caleb Marchbank, but those two are definitely my second and third favourite trade targets after Owens. And it does slip off slightly after that. So that's where I'd steer my attention towards if you need a downgrade. A triple downgrade option isn't out of the question for a lot of coaches this week, and it's something that I was exploring as well. So... If you want to chase some of those names like Owens and Ware, or maybe even Marchbank as well and get that trio, it's not a terrible route to go down. Item number three, I want to talk about game three of the NBA finals. We saw Boston take a pretty interesting game three. They now have a 2-1 series lead. Uh, thanks in part to the play of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum continues to shoot pretty shithouse. JLo's talked about how he never really seems to shoot a good clip and he shot under 40% again. But in the fourth quarter, he did step up and he was either scoring or assisting on what felt like every bucket in that fourth quarter, at least initially anyway. But it was Jalen Brown's hot start that really got Boston going. I was able to tune in live to most of the second half. But as I was watching the box score and watching the ticker uh, during my uh, period two uh, Hass class, <laughs> I did notice that Jalen Brown was getting a lot of scoring done. He had 17 points in the first quarter. And at the moment, he might be the favorite for the finals MVP. It's too early to tell who's going to win that. We're still at least 
two games left of the NBA finals, probably more. Let's be honest. I expect Golden State to throw some more punches before the series is done and dusted. And if Golden State is going to turn this into a really competitive series again, they need a bit more out of Draymond Green. He, I did give him plenty of praise for his defense the last couple of games, but he was pretty crap in game three. Didn't score great. He never usually does, but yeah, he didn't look fantastic. Clay, on the other hand, he kind of flipped his fortunes around and did seem like he was the same old Clay, burying pretty contested clutch threes when it mattered most for the dubs. And Boston got a pretty strong game out of Rob Williams. Steph Curry's a little bit banged up going into game four. And that game four could be a defining contest in how this series goes. I think I think I'm still siding with Boston. I flipped my original pick around on the last podcast with JLo. I just think Boston's better, man. I don't know how else to word it. They're better defensively. They seem like they're bat a bit deeper. I don't love the idea of Wiggins or Nemanja Bialica or no offense to Jordan Poole, but he hasn't really convinced me that he's going to be a difference maker. I had one good scoring performance, but most of that came in junk time. So again, like I said on Wednesday, I won't be shocked if Boston wins game four. I think Golden State has to win game four. I can't see them going back down 3-1 and then pulling off an unlikely comeback. They've obviously been on the other side of that previously. Shout out to the 2016 Cavs. But this is going to be a huge, huge game in the context of Golden State's legacy. I don't know. Actually, let me retract that. I hate saying that that was a, <laughs> a defining point potentially in their legacy. Their legacy is already cemented. However, we might see the last Golden State potential championship run, or we might be watching the last Golden State potential championship run. So if they can steal game four and then go back to uh, the chase centre with the series knotted at 2 all, things are okay. But if they go down 3-1... I'm not convinced they can pull it off. Fourth thing I want to chat about quickly is the Denver Broncos. Just recently, we saw that the franchise that is going to be very interesting to watch this year was purchased by the Walter Penner family ownership group for a whopping $4.65 billion. I would love to have uh, even half that cash. I don't know what I would do with $4 billion. Probably buy the Denver Broncos. They are obviously going to be uh, looking very different going into this season. They added Russ Wilson, and I think that he will help drive a lot more success for Denver. I expect the Broncos to be right in the playoff mix again this year. Their defense is arguably on paper one of the best in the league. But that AFC West, I think that's easily the most inter interesting division to watch. But it's going to be fucking loaded, and it'll be very intriguing to see which teams do make a bit of a playoff push. They We could... I don't know mathematically if it could work, but we could see four teams in that division all challenge for a playoff spot. They obviously have to play against each other, which complicates things. But from a Broncos perspective, I could see them winning nine to 10 games this year without too much issue. The health of Cortland Sutton and the rest of the Broncos receivers will be interesting to watch because if Russ has them firing on all cylinders and the other tailbacks and halfbacks in the uh, mix do do their bits and pieces for that offense and keep them putting points up so that their defense doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting. Could see the Broncos make a surprising run to the postseason. Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, they kind of split the workload at the running back position last year. I think actually, now that I'm looking it up, both of them had exactly the same amount of carries. Granted, Williams played one more game than Gordon, but yeah, the growth of Tim Patrick, 
Jerry Judy's complicated situation. It'll be interesting to see if he finally gets his uh, career on track. I expected big things of him coming out of college, but he hasn't exactly got it going yet. Noah Fant, he's now uh, part of the Seattle Seahawks. He was a trade piece that obviously went back to Seattle for Russ. So there's some interesting, uh, I think it's about the eighth time I've used the word interesting, but it is, it's interesting to see what Denver will dish up in season 2022. Radio, last item on the agenda, number five, my AFL fantasy trades for this week. I've chopped and changed my mind a couple of times as to what I was going to do. I originally was flicking out Zach Butters and was going to try and land Josh Kelly. Uh, decided not to do that, and Zach Butters rewarded me with a fantastic 55. But the reason I didn't flick him out is because I wasn't convinced that Braden Proust was going to get up. And funnily enough, when the Sunday teams were confirmed not too long ago, Braden Proust was left out of the side. He is an emergency, so there's still a slim chance that he comes in, but he's not going to survive for me. I'll turn him, hopefully, into Josh Kelly by doing a couple of other downgrades. Robbie McComb will become Jacob Ware, who managed to keep his spot on the side, even though Lockie Whitfield's back, which some people thought uh, Whitfield's inclusion might have mean Jacob Ware was left out of the side. The other trade I did before Thursday night is I flicked Sam Hayes down to Bryn Tickle. Don't know how soon we'll see Bryn Tickle at AFL level or if at all, but that was a quick way to make 200 grand that'll help facilitate a move that'll get me Bruce up to Josh Kelly. I'll sling Das Cameron into my second ruck spot, move one of my mid forwards down into my forward line and hopefully land big Jay Kelly. He'll be my captain at this point, unless Andy Brayshaw goes gangbusters against Hawthorne on Saturday. I was going to be going to that game, but I don't know if you can tell through uh, the audio platform. I've developed flu-like symptoms, still returning negative rat tests, but feeling pretty busted and this flu has hit me around a bit. So I will not be going to Optus Stadium to go and cheer on the mighty Fremantle Dockers, but that's okay. I digress. Could be worse, but I'm going to be cheering on Andy Brayshaw and the rest of my uh, fantasy team. I think I'm only going to have 18 green dots this week potentially 19 if Connor McDonald becomes the sub for Hawthorne, but I'm still in an all right position moving forward. I've got about 140 K left in the bank and I'm hoping next week that I can turn Zach Butters, Will Brody, and maybe another piece into Timmy English, uh, Took Miller, and then whatever 190 K defender I choose. That's it. Another pod done and dusted. Good luck for this weekend. AFL fantasy coaches, he is hoping that we get a game for Epic. I've been talking about it for ages. I know that the sports by fans know that I expected one of these games to be an Epic. And I think game four is going to live up to the hype. So we'll see if Golden State can deliver with their backs against the wall. But thank you for listening to this episode. Catch you next time.